Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Everybody, we're back for another week of Tis the Podcast, the podcast dedicated to keeping the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year. I'm Julia. I'm, I'm Anthony. Uh, I I'm beat you two by like a <laughs> second. I was still too fast. I tried so hard. That's what she said. So, I don't Julia. think it is. I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Julia, you have reached peak levels of popularity again amongst podcast world and listeners that? well besides google so this past week i recorded a patreon episode with our friend ron hogan a film strip podcast and his friends and his friend sometimes co-host Lindsay. as i as she was a new person who had never been before i asked her favorite christmas movie the christmas and hollis question and then i was like i don't think you've ever listened to the show so like you could just say, you're going to escape this third question, but normally I'd ask, who's your favorite co-host? So you could just say me. And, you know, she made a joke about how, like, you know, she just met me too soon to commit. But then Ron was like, no, Lindsay, I can guarantee you right now it's Julia. And she was like, Julia Gulia. And Ron was like, I think that's actually her name on something. And she's like, oh, well, that is. And Julia's definitely my favorite. And I was like, <laughs> even with people who've never talked to Julia, Julia is still the favorite elf. I mean, she has a, a healthy, fine respect for a fantastic movie that happens to star one of your favorite actors. A great Wedding actor and master of the theater. Whoopity-doo! Your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm Julia. I would be remiss if I was a Julia and did not adopt Julia Gulia. It's one of the great, it's one of the great benefits of being a Julia, let's be honest. Was it fun recording with them? It was fun. They're good people. I feel like all the people that Ron surrounds himself with on that podcast are just fun people. Yes, it was. It was a good time. Did you have a good week otherwise? Was that a bright, shiny spot in your week? Let's see. Wednesday, that was Wednesday night. Wednesday during the day, I was so stressed about work. I was like, nope, calling out and taking a mental day the next two yeah. days and then instead of relaxing larry got sick so i spent like the next two days like cleaning up after him and like Daddy. chasing him around and oh yeah okay. so but at least i got off work for a bit how was your week guys <laughs> uh mine's been busy working lots of i'm pulling tom hours can i just say that and that's probably it's the equivalent of working lots of extra hours. It's fun, isn't it? I'm on a Tom schedule <laughs> this last week. <laughs> Worked all weekend, so it feels like two weeks have turned into just one never-ending week. So I'm really looking forward to this weekend. I but bet. it hasn't been bad. It's been productive work, 
and everything is going well. And it's uh, a, a year's worth of work is turning out to be very, very good. So you're so Hermione, you're so Hermione that even with a long, hard work week, you're still very positive about it. I love it. I love your, I love your, I love your attitude, Julia. Okay. So I've really enjoyed working from home, but I realized it's mostly, it's mostly because Marty's also home. And so I really like, I just really like being around Marty all day. We've always talked about how ideal jobs would be something we could do together. Cause like, we really like each other and we love each other. And so I realized when we started, um, all this work stuff this last weekend, the last two days have been like heavy support days, right? We've got new users in the system. And so we're having to perform support. We really haven't had to do for a year because everybody's been at home and people don't call you from home. They'll email you. I've learned this. And so I've gotten (laughs) to put, I have had the ability to put my support hat back on, which I was kind of like, not super excited about, but you know what? I have really missed people. I really like people. And when I even talking to them about like, oh, single sign-on's not working because you didn't listen to the four training videos that you were supposed to watch and the three trainings in person you attended, you, you didn't get any of that. Okay, I'll help you with that. No, they're at home. They don't pay attention at home. <laughs> I don't know. I've missed people. And so I've actually kind of enjoyed it. I like being useful and I've had a really good, a really good, lots of time to be useful in the last few days, but I will be darned if I am not real, real happy to see you guys tonight. It feels like coffee at a coffee shop. I feel like, I feel like Julia is one of the only people who will tell me and Tom, I'm so happy to see you guys. (laughs) How was your week, Tom? Uh, I had a conference we've been planning for a while take place today, and it went off without a hitch and was beautiful. And so uh, it was in an EU time zone. So I was hosting, you know, one of my one of the guys on my team. I started at four. He started at five this morning. So um, I told him to ditch out early and uh, tomorrow post work. A few of the, the, the a few of the guys on my team are. Um, going to video game together to relax and have some not, you know, like if you're, if you're at a conference, you'd go out for drinks or do something like that. Right. So we can't do that. So we're going to hang out and uh, play some games on, on steam. Oh, which games nice. do you know? I don't even know. Cause I haven't downloaded or paid for it yet because is it a quest game or is it a shoot people game? I was going to say Brown in that movie. What? <laughs> Dude, where's my car? Andy Dick. When they're asking a question and Andy Dick is in jail. His answer is, I was going to say Brown, and it made absolutely no sense. Uh, we are going to play Don't Starve Together. That's a fun game. Is it a quest game or is it a shooting game, Anthony? <laughs> I have no clue. I was joking. I was pretending like I knew. And Julia <laughs> called me out on it. <laughs> Whoops, sorry. <laughs> well, I've got a little pop quiz. What's your favorite arcade video game? Go. I like Pac-Man. Oh, like you're talking old school Pac-Man, like old school video games. Anything you would play in an actual arcade box where you stand there and you've got the thing. Mortal Kombat. Whatever. Mortal Kombat's your favorite? I like Area 51. I That's loved it. I loved Pac-Man. I love Tom. I did not like the sit- Pac-Man that had the rolly ball, you know, like the flat table. And then instead of having a joystick, it was a ball you would roll. Oh, like yeah. Galaga. I hated Galaga that too. Galaga was fun. 
Mm-hmm. That man's playing Galaga. I thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. <laughs> That's Julia first Avengers, that right? Um, I did yeah. like. I did like the new. I do like that they're making all of these um, Donkey Kong versus Frogger games. He's making fun of Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> Um, boy, I love Rampa- Frogger too, I, I used to love Frogger and Rampage, like the old school Rampage. That was fun. Rampage is in was Rampage the, the one where you get on the buildings the and kick it over and over again? Rampage? Yes. Yep. I started as an arcade that, game. That was based on a video game? Yeah. An was arcade game? Where the game? animals would jump on the buildings and kick it and knock the buildings down? Yep. And you'd get points for all the people you ate, and yeah. Yeah, you would pick up the people and eat them as they're running by. And you yep. would punch so is up the rock the... play the main character of the game? No, you play as the monsters in the game. You're, you were playing monsters as the, versus the people, yeah. Oh, so the rock is a people trying to avoid the monsters. I thought yeah, it was a big cha- white gorilla. It is, but I mean, okay. they change. I mean, it's loosely, it's a it's loosely a video based. it's a video game with like that was literally <laughs> just punching buildings and eating people. They had to develop the whole plot, <laughs> but that was fun. That like saying liked... Galaga is a loose interpretation of Star Wars, or Star Wars is a loose interpretation of Galaga. We're yeah. recording on May the fourth, y'all. Happy May the fourth! Hey, May the fourth be with you. We need to do something tomorrow for the Revenge of the Revenge of the Sith. This is the May. <gasps> this is the May. Thank you for Jerry for that. That really brightened my day. I think I'm eating tacos tomorrow because that seems like the uh, cliche thing to do thing for thing to Cinco do. de Mayo. So guys, our friend Mike of Advent Calendar House is campaigning hard for revenge for the Muppets in our <laughs> in our bracket competition. <laughs> he is campaigning hard. I mean, I can tell you where we stand right now. I think I'm t- I'm calling it right now. Home Alone's gonna be the ups. I don't even know if it's an upset. Home Alone's gonna take the whole thing. I'm calling it. I think Home people have more. Took it at sixty-one percent. Ooh, closer than I thought it would be. And Elf is taking it at fifty-five percent. So we're down about- to Elf versus Home Alone. And I'll tell you why Home Alone's gonna win. I think people have more nostalgia for Home Alone because it's older. And it doesn't have the Will Ferrell component because even people like Elf still are uncertain about Will Ferrell. That's why I think Home Alone's going to take it. I it's could so agree with a, a lot Will of Will Ferrell stuff, Ferrell, but he's not Will Ferrell in this at all. Yeah, he's just Buddy. He's- Unless there there are whole batches of people who can look at a single actor, and even though that single actor gives some extraordinarily solid performances in their life, can't get past the fact. That the, yeah, I'm totally talking about Adam Sandler and Anthony. No, I'm talking about Will Ferrell. But <laughs> no, there I, are I, I know, scores I, 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 of I, I, people. <laughs> hey, you know what? Say what you want about my Adam Sandler. Hey, I gave a 10 to Mix Nuts, despite the fact he was in it. That's very true. It's very true. But I, no, I think I think I think that's a valid point with Will Ferrell. Even though he's really not Will Ferrell in it, there will be people that can't look past the fact. But I know people who don't like Will Ferrell who still like Elf. Well, okay, so what came first, though? For me, Will Ferrell, my first exposure to Will Ferrell, that sounds terrible, was Elf, not anything else. So I think my first then, exposure to Will Ferrell was Step Brothers. I think mine was old school. That was the one that really put him on the map. That was the yeah, one, I never saw if, that you, if you watch the movies that made us, that nearly derailed Elf, because they were filming Elf when old school was released, and overnight, Elf was like, 
overnight will ferrell was a superstar because old school was so popular and people there the studio was like crap people are going to see this movie because of him now and they're going to expect this when it's something completely different so like yeah it was interesting if you haven't watched that yet spoiler alert we're covering that later this year so we're covering old school no, the movies that made us were taking a few deep dives okay. into like behind the scenes Christmas movies. Yeah, that feels really weird because I think we're just going to be repeating what they said, right? All right. Well, we veered left, right, and all over with this one, which I don't know. I never complain. I like our catch up chats, but we do have a reason to be here tonight, and it is to expand the Christmas season with a Christmas classic. Classic? Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas from 1997. This is a, what do we call this? I've always struggled with the categories. It's, it's not a, a TV mid- short. I want to bring back, oh. I want to bring back Anthony saying and say, this is hot garbage. <laughs> this it's is a not, movie. This is an official, is it, this is officially a movie. It, did it get a theatrical release? No, but it was Disney straight to VHS movies. And spoiler alert, not spoiler alert, fun fact, this was also the very first Disney movie out of their whole catalog that got a DVD release when DVDs started being released. Man, they prioritized that thing high, didn't they? All right. Um. Okay, so the 1997's Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Uh, Beauty and the Beast itself had come out in 1991, so this one followed six years later. Uh, quick and little should, plot synopsis. I was going to say, we should know it's not a sequel. Like most of Disney's straight-to-VHS movies were, it's a midquel. That's right. It's not. And it's right. It's not a sequel. It's, throw, it's throwing a bunch of stuff into canon that wasn't there and makes no sense in its place. Well, the reason they did it as a midquel trivia for you, they were going to set it after Beauty and the Beast, but then they were like, well, nobody wants to see them all when they're human. Like the magic was when they were like objects and stuff. So they were decided the best way to do it was to set it during the original film. Whether or not it worked, we will talk about (laughs) All right, so the plot of this hour and 12-minute straight-to-VHS Christmas special is Belle prepares the castle for Christmas against Beast's wishes, trying to bring him happiness for the season. Forte, a pipe organ, fears that Belle's plans may eventually bring about an end to the curse, the curse that brought him more importance in the master's life. Forte uses Fife, a flute who desperately wants a solo, to destroy Belle's plans and get rid of her. So as Anthony mentioned, this occurs where Belle is in captivity and the castle is still under the enchantment. It occurs, I think they say in the movie specifically, after Beast had rescued Belle from the wood, from the wolves when she ran away. So they're right at the beginning of there. They're just starting to kind of get along that's right phase but before we get into cast (laughs) credits uh let's talk about our histories with this um mine's pretty short i don't remember any part of this except for the cover of the movie it's the only thing i remember i'm not sure that i ever saw this which is kind of shocking because this would still have been in a pretty solid disney phase with, I mean, somewhat, maybe on the late end a little bit. Um, so 
so no real history. Anthony, do you have any history with this one? I do. So I have a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in this film. So 97, I was in second grade. So either finishing second grade or starting third, whatever. But, um, you know, we owned all of the Disney movies on VHS and those big plastic white mm-hmm. uh, VHS tapes that after they got a little old, the covers wouldn't even stick together anymore. Yeah. Uh, good times. I mean, they became so crinkled nice. and everything. But mm-hmm. I, I not just the theatrical films, but also the straight-to-video sequels which for which every classic disney movie at the time had one and this is always one i remember enjoying compared comparatively speaking to the rest like this and return of jafar um the rest like i don't remember at all but these two i do remember these two i remember watching multiple times and i remember when my mother brought this home because beauty and the beast was my favorite Disney movie growing up. It's still my favorite Disney movie of all time. I love that story. So when my mother brought this home, I was really excited, especially because I still have that love for Christmas at that age, right? Mm-hmm. That would have been a whole lifelong thing. So Beauty and the Beast set at Christmas, I was pumped. And I remember really enjoying it as a child. I haven't revisited it in years. So when I watched it today for the podcast, I was like, huh, I was surprised by how much I remembered, but also surprised by how much I did not including that weird Jewish axe character. But uh, we'll talk more about that in a bit. With the, with the, with the giant nose? It was an axe blade. Yeah. Uh, sorry, there was... Okay, we can agree to disagree on that one. That one felt way off. Uh, so I didn't, I'm not familiar with this. I want to preface. I love what Disney does with Beauty and the Beast. Um, I really like the tale in general of Beauty and the Beast. Save maybe the 1987 live action which was terrible what? Um, wait which one what year the lot 1987 live action the one where the beast looked like marjorie taylor green <gasps> you talking about oh, the show the one, the one with uh what's yeah, his name hamilton show. yeah <gasps> i love that show go look at his picture he looks just like oh he told me <laughs> He does man, ron, per- ron perlman he ron perlman <laughs> hellboy is it really Okay, yes. <laughs> so I wasn't a big fan of that, but otherwise I love Beauty and the Beast. Um, I like just about everything with Beauty and the Beast. I really like the new live action adaptation with Emma Watson. That's definitely one fun. of Disney's better live action. It was versions. good. It was yes. so good. I have so such good. nostalgia for Beauty and the Beast and I will watch. That's one of the Disney movies like um, Moana, Aladdin, you know, Lion King that I'll watch ad nauseum with Ellie mm-hmm. every time she wants to without a single complaint. Then we got to this movie. This movie takes and in my opinion makes a farce out of what is Beauty and the Beast. This ruins the canon that exists. Uh stretches so far to create a storyline that still doesn't at the end of the day make sense and introducing new characters who are so pivotal to this story yet completely absent from the original movie, it, it just, I, I can't get over it. I can't forgive it. The music is subpar. It's its following on the heels of such a great classic and falls so, so, so far. I would compare this, let's say Home Alone, one of the beloved movies that, that's in the running right now. Let's say Home Alone went from Home Alone to Home Alone 5. 
That's pretty much what happened here today. <sighs> Ouch. Yeah, I'm not even I, saying three ooh. or four. I'm saying it went straight to five. Okay, mm. so continuity issues aside, of which there are plenty, I I was so I was I I have some some of that I'm going to be pushing back on when we dive into this movie. But I will say, I was very the surprised. Is not the, even the animation doesn't have continuity. You have all of these great characters that are iconic from the movie that look great, and then I don't know what they did to get that organ to look. It so was awful. a straight to VHS. If you put on any care. of those yes. movies, they were never as good. Yeah, but well, I, no, but I, the rest I, of the animation was great. But they just did some sort of weird CGI thing that made it look like it looked like you know if if Ellie did a color by number and then I just stuck a sticker on it. You know, it looked that bad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will try. say though, and isn't I Anthony will... the one who complained about who complains about movies like Noel, where the animation is off when it's like they no, are Disney that's money. CGI. The when when they're they live action, wait, yeah, they have oh. Disney money, live action, they have Disney money. <laughs> Difference. There is total money. <laughs> there is a total difference. But what I was going to say is I. I thought the popular opinion amongst our listeners would be Tom's opinion. I thought mm-hmm. I was one of the few who liked this, but I was very surprised. And we'll get into feedback like we usually do after we talk about this, but there's a lot of love for this film. So there is a lot of love for this film. There's a lot of love. So let's go through cast real quick. Um, while we have most of the same voices and characters back, we do have a different director for this one. So Andrew Knight directed this special. He is not the one that directed Beauty and the Beast. So I don't know how much to contribute to that. Um, not a lot of um, <laughs> not a lot of other stuff that I'm familiar with in his other directorial credits. Um, he had his hand in a few episodes of Get Ed, which looks like a kid's animated series, a short called Plumber, and then this one, and then some animation credits. So probably heavy in the art department, not so much in directing. And this was his first, this was his directorial debut. Reprising a lot of our voices and roles, we'll start with Belle, um, is Paige O'Hara. is the voice of Belle in Beauty and the Beast and also the voice of Belle here. Um, She's primarily known for just being the voice of Belle. So I'm trying to think if we've technically covered her. I don't think she has been in any of the once upon a Christmases we've covered with Disney, at least not I prominently. I don't think she has been No. Yeah. So primarily Belle, um, she did reprise her role as Belle and Ralph breaks the internet for the awesome princess stuff, which that's some <laughs> yes, of the best part of that movie. So that was great. <laughs> um, the voice of beast is Robbie Benson, who also did it in the main theatrical release movie. And can I just say about the Beast character in general, I love in that theatrical movie and this movie, just that like frustrated growl he always does. Like whenever he turns on his heel, frustrated, like the little huff he does. I love that. I love the Beast. I love the Beast. He does a lot more huffing in this one than he ever did in the movie. Uh, He huffs a lot in the movie. uh, Not as much as he huffs in this one. Um, Again, we'll talk we about that. Some, we took everything to a bad extreme. I felt Go that on, with sorry. the beast. 
which Thank was you. sad because, so I don't know if y'all felt this way too, or if it might just be because of my age when I saw Beauty and the Beast and all of that. But when Beast transforms into a human at the end of Beauty and the Beast, I was disappointed because I had grown to love the Beast's face and not like the human face. I always thought he looked super weird with like his blonde hair. I didn't think he, I never thought he was cute as a human. Well, there are whole BuzzFeed articles now about how like yeah. the beast is much more, much better looking as a beast than a human. I, th- yeah. I think it is. I think it is because like you just get used to it. I think so too. That's what I tell myself anyway. Uh, so Robbie Benson has quite a bit of acting credits, um, 70s, 80s, early 90s. Um, you'd probably argue that this is his most famous role um, because I mean, when you're an iconic Disney voice, it's it's what you hang your hat on for the rest of your life. Not just That's an iconic Disney to. voice, but like an iconic Disney voice in like the first Disney animated movie to be nominated for like an Oscar for best picture. The first animated movie ever to be nominated for That's best right. picture. Yep. That's right. It's a big deal. Um, but he really has really made a name for himself in his directorial credits. He's did six episodes of Friends. Um, he had his hand in directing episode um, episodes of Ellen. Um, Sabrina, the teenage witch. I know Anthony, you at least are a fan of the show, uh, Jesse, which was a popular show in our house for quite some time when my kids were younger. Um, two episodes of eight simple rules, which was a great show. Was Jesse the babysitting one? Yeah. The rich kids in New York and the penthouse. Yeah. I've seen that one. Yep. That was a life I wanted. (laughs) To be the babysitter, to be the rich kids rich kids in the penthouse in New York City. (laughs) Um, The voice of Lumiere is Jerry Orbach, who you will know primarily, I think, from Dirty Dancing, but then from Law and Order. Uh, David Ogden Steers does the voice of one of my favorite characters, Cogsworth, (laughs) who I think is precious, and I just want to love him forever. He's so cranky. The scene in this one where uh, the beast has him search for Belle in the castle and he's just like running all over the castle looking for her out of breath. <laughs> that had me laughing. I don't know how um, he has. <laughs> he's done other voices as well for the Disney world. Um, he had voices in Lilo and Stitch. He did voice in Justice League Unlimited. Um, he was a voice in Hoodwinked. Winnie the Pooh, he was a narrator. He was in an episode of Frasier, Touched by an Angel, The House of Mouse, where he reprised his voice role as Cogsworth. And he was also Governor Ratcliffe from Pocahontas. Uh, As another recurring character, but not a recurring voice, uh, Chip, the tiny little teacup, um, was previously voiced in the movie version, the theatrical release version by Bradley Pierce. They replaced the voice because the voice needed to be young. Uh, with Haley Joel Osment, who we know from The Sixth Sense. Sixth the Sixth Sense. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> I guess most uh, recently he's been in some stuff, but I mean, he's the kid from The Sixth Sense. How did you guys think he did, like, in terms of the voice? Like, did you think he sounded similar? Yeah, it sounded really similar to me. I didn't realize they replaced him. Yeah. Now, the original voice... Like a lot of people will know for he was the kid in Jumanji, the younger brother in the original with Robin Williams, the one Kirsten Dunst's brother when they let Jumon- Robin Williams out of the game and he, oh, turns, he turns into, into half monkey. a monkey for cheating and 
Yeah. He whispers that in Robin Williams' him. ear and he pulls the tail out of his pants. <laughs> That's right. How funny. I would not have recognized him the way that he looks now. Mm-hmm. Had you not said something. Um, another voice they replaced for this one is the voice, what are the sound, the voice of Philippe, the beautiful horse, who I also quite liked. Um, Philippe was voiced um, in this one by Frank Welker, because I think the original Philippe had passed away. And Frank Welker is known for quite a bit of voice work, not excluding the voice of Megatron in the first Transformers spin-up. And he played Galvatron, Shockwave, Soundwave. Uh, He's been voices in Scooby-Doo, most notably. He's Fred. (laughs) We just covered him in Funstone's Christmas Carol. He's pretty much in every animated thing I think we've done because he is so prolific in that field. Especially when you're talking 80s and 90s things. And mm. even earlier, he's just been around forever. Um, someone we definitely have covered on the podcast. Um, Mrs. Potts is back yeah, and still is. voiced by Angela Lansbury, who's delightful. And as a human is just drastically older than her son, Chip. Just drastically. That was one change. Her and her son. <laughs> it's just that was one change I loved in the live action remake that they made her like younger. Me yeah. too, with Emma Thompson. Oh, you can't go wrong with Emma Thompson. And the other change um, I loved in the live action remake was that all of their spouses and family members are the villagers that had magically forgot them. I thought that was really cool. I like that too. And I really like that Cogsworth had a wife and he was just. He was miserable. He was miserable <laughs> when she remembered him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so our new characters for this particular show that we are to believe have lived in the castle, even in the first movie portion, right? Um, Paul Rubens, uh, also known as Pee Wee Herman, um, plays Fife, the little flute, piccolo, Fife creature. A little Fife. Um, who, he's kind of our henchman a bit to our nemesis. Sort of. What, what's with um, the henchmen in the Beauty and the Beast universe? You get LeFou and now fight like <laughs> they are not very competent. But maybe that and but they are they are lovable as well, though, which the live action was really good at making LeFou lovable. But I like that they're not pure bad. I don't like a pure I mean bad. when you well, have Josh Gad, Josh Gad. How not? I know. This Josh guy, Gad's amazing. Josh Gad's playing Quasimodo in the live action remake. Oh, do we know when the fife is usually used as an instrument? When? When? Uh, with drums and military bands. Just a And it's known as being a shrill flute. I mean, he was definitely shrill in this movie. Yeah, he was. Our bad person in the movie is voiced excellently so by Tim Curry. Um, who we have also covered on the show when we talked about Home Alone 2. And his name is Forte, and he is a massive basement-sized organ. Like, that thing is what the very foundation of the castle apparently is built on. The naming Mm. convention for Forte is really obnoxious, I'm just going to say. Can we talk for a minute about, well, no, we'll get to it. I have questions about Forte and just how the mechanics of how this guy works. How that works. Yeah. Um, Bernadette Peters, also a name that I don't think we've covered yet, but is always worth noting because she's a goddess when it comes to 
anything Broadway, having to do with especially. the stage. Exactly. Um, she plays Angelique, who is the decorator of the castle. And I have very, very big questions about what her anthropomorphized body is. Is she's she an angel tree angel? topper? She's That's a all she angel. is. Yeah. Okay. Although okay. I think now, since you mentioned that, it's the time to read one comment we got from Alonzo Duraldi, who wrote, "Are the decorations sentient? Are they trapped in the attic for eleven months of the year?" Which I have the same questions. So when I saw Angelique, I thought of our Tom, and in the best way possible, because Angelique, Aww. Angelique spent a lot of this movie telling the other characters, this isn't how you do Christmas. The, the lights go on first. Everyone knows that. And she just has very strong opinions when it comes to preparing for Christmas. And I thought of Tom and our discussion not too long ago about Christmas trees and what makes a good Christmas tree and how everyone else is wrong. And I was like, oh, Tom would be an angel Christmas topper. He had a curse put on him. Oh, boy, that's funny. Uh, I would own that one. <laughs> You're okay with that? Yeah. What would you nice. be, Julia? What would I be? Like technically, technically they they're supposed to do the personalities, right? Like the maid got the feather duster and Cogsworth was like the kind of his chief of staff type guy, right? So he was always right. on the watch. Like what would you be? Like based on your personality. I don't know. I don't know what I would be either. I could see I'd myself being a clock. Cox. I'm always very early and punctual. I'd probably be I see yeah. you as being a Christmas pickle ornament you're kind of there nobody understands where you came from or why you're there but you're there and i'll be generally cool with it i'll take it unless we start looking too much into it and then we uncover some worms we don't need to uncover but otherwise everybody's generally happy with seeing you there in the christmas tree (laughs) julia you're one of those um you know the christmas ornaments that bubble oh you'll be a bubbler i'm happy with that you're a bubbler because you know who can't, you're everybody's favorite elf and who can't look at a bubbler without smiling, right? I mean, those are just amazing <laughs> ornaments. They're, they bring people happiness and joy and are uh, very much uh, non-threatening and uh, have, give no offense. And they're probably responsible for most of the tree fire events. Some sketchy wiring. Our, our, last, <laughs> our last guest voice, so to speak, is, um, is a pivotal character for a small portion at the at the climax of this movie um and it is axe slash poke he is an axe and he is voiced by jeff bennett jeff bennett in the same way that frank welker has a lot of voice credits has a lot of voice credits to his name as well um and most of the big disney stuff especially like like the big disney stuff now so uh, the Lion Guard, Curious George, Elena of Avalor. He's done Looney Tunes mm-hmm. stuff, My Little Pony, Lego City Adventure. Like he has his voice in most things. Um, and he has his voice in this movie as well as a Jewish axe. As a Jewish axe. That's right. All right. So that's our cast. Um, lots of returning voices and just a few new ones. Our main story thread follows. We open up and and everybody's human. 
And it's Christmas time though. So what do we do at Christmas? We tell stories. We tell stories around the tree. And so Chip is very interested in a story. And so the whole movie is Miss Potts retelling a story that kicks us back in time to when they were all inanimate objects again. Because like Anthony said at the beginning of the episode, and I think it's true. I, think I don't want to see these people as humans. I want to see them as their objects. I think you meant animate objects not inanimate objects oh animate objects that's right (laughs) no problem um i mean i would much rather i mean do y'all feel like that too that a story with them as humans would just be kind of boring yes which is why i'm confused why they why disney wants a sequel to the live action version like a sequel like i don't humans well they say a sequel so i'm thinking to myself like are you gonna do another like midquel type thing i don't know how you do a sequel i don't know i'm okay with the beast being a human in the live action because i quite like dan stevens but everybody else like i want them all to be objects again yeah especially that dog a little footstool dog i always wanted a sultan dog sultan is his name yeah he's adorable yeah he's adorable He's so cute. So the story itself is um, Christmas is a time for love stories, right? And Christmas is a time for high harrowing adventure on frozen ponds and, and organs that want to kill you. So we pick up in the love story of Beast and Belle when Beast was still a beast right at the beginning. So they're just getting comfortable with each other. And like, she's just just kind of he just saved her from the wolves. And so there's like a warming of affections, but he's still a little rough around the edges. Um, Belle very much loves Christmas. Beast has horrible memories tied to Christmas because the night that the sorceress or the enchantress came and presented him with the rose was Christmas Eve. And I don't Which think we was, knew this. We did not, but movie. it was the original prologue that got cut. It was in the original script for the theatrical film. Ooh. But when they decided to do it all kind of voiceover, like who would ever learn to love a beast and everything. Oh, I love that part too. That's my favorite kind of, part of the whole movie. I love that too. Just like dramatic. And who would ever learn to love a beast? But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, the original script specified when it was actual scene that played out and you kind of saw how horrible he was and got a little interaction with them. It was Christmas Eve. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. That was helpful. No problem. Because I had no idea. Um, So he really hates Christmas and she really loves Christmas. And I mean, she's in a castle full of objects and Chip plays a big part of this because Christmas is magical because of the kids around you for a lot, a lot of people's experience, right? You see Christmas through the eyes of children. And so Chip is our child in the movie. And so she, but what? Tom, what's your problem with that here? You just, you mentioned it earlier. How does he not know what Christmas is? Like we have this whole thing. Let's look at the let's look at the the continuity issue. Chip is a child when he's trans transformed because nobody ages in this cursed state. Which while we're talking about cursed states, why in the world when we're decorating the Christmas tree do they all have ornaments that remind them of being cursed as these inanimate objects turned animate? that they didn't like for years. Like there's an ornament on the tree for everybody. That seems really weird. It's like, oh, hey, you remember that year grandma got run over by the truck in the middle of the road? Let's get a Christmas ornament of a truck rolling over an old lady, right? Like, no, you don't do that. Like, that's just weird. (laughs) Okay, but that's another tangent that I'm going on right now. The 
the the the rant I have right now is about Chip. Chip is a kid. The 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 house, the 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 castle. They celebrate Christmas. This is a Christmas party. Why does Chip have no knowledge of of Christmas? Do we have some sort of amnesia issue going on? Does he have short term memory? Is he going to forget this all the next day? Like what's happening? I can. In the live this. action, there is an amnesia amount. Right, and even like the, in the longer Disney they're one, the object, the less they remember anything about their. Human that wasn't lives. part of this story at all. That was added like years later. But in the animated one, they said it was like twenty-one years or something that passed. So maybe he's just like it's. It has been a while. If he's never celebrated, if this was I don't their know, final would Christmas year. be of all things for you to forget the excitement and anticipate anticipation of Christmas as a child? If you have been cursed and turned into an animate object, and your master doesn't let you celebrate Christmas for twenty-one years and you are basically just collecting dust for 21 years walking around a big scary cold castle would you remember it you probably yeah. lose track of the days but you would still remember santa christmas gifts no kid is going to forget a gift giving day it's just not going to happen dude i guess i'm not going to i'm not going to like argue i mean that. ellie gives our dogs christmas presents almost on a daily basis Aww, during those sweet. 21 years chip's got to have some hope to hold on to um, i want to know what happened to his 16 brothers and sisters when mrs potts tells him in the original off to the cupboard with your brothers and sisters now chip there's a reason she's so worried about chip getting broken <laughs> beast went into a flying rage and killed 15 children <laughs> oh boy that's in the uh, that's in the zach snyder cut the fact slider cut. Oh gosh. So so Chip is excited about Christmas and that motivates Belle to defy Beast's wishes of having no Christmas because he's not a fan. Um and try and drum up a little Christmas because by golly, they can bring Christmas to this castle. You know well, what she helps too with it's... that? You know what helped make that happen really easily? Let's have really crappy music, except for the. Uh, let's make really bad songs. I only- love as long as there's Christmas. Oh, it's terrible. The only decent song in this whole thing is the freaking public domain one they open up with. As long as there's Christmas, I love that song, and it's about hope. That's why Belle wants to bring it to the castle too. She knows they don't have hope. Like it's about Christmas at the time for hope as well. So she's bringing it to these inanimate objects and these cursed objects. Get it, but it just wasn't a good song. Of the songs, that's my favorite. Um, the songs, like the animation, a, is are just a that's not a glowing review, less, Julia. Are just are just a little less good than a theatrical Disney, which I fully expected. I, I was not expecting right animation on the same level as as regular Beauty and the Beast, nor was I expecting the music to be as good because it's never the case. No, so I wasn't disappointed. There's a whole catalog. They, the straight to VHS Disney sequels have a reputation for that. <laughs> like they do. Yeah. Like they have their fans, but it's a reputation like, ah, they're not the best movies, but it's a good, right. they're enjoyable enough. Toy Story 2 was supposed to be straight, straight to VHS, by the way, but they realized they had a good story and decide to go theatrical i don't think i said this but i will anthony i agree with you about the the return of jafar that was a good one yeah except who thought it was a good idea to uh give gilbert Gottfried a song oh lord it was not the best (laughs) (laughs) okay so 
We get some cute scenes with um, Belle and Beast ice skating. That's where we kind of build on their relationship. And there's some funny parts there. Um, Beast totally eats it and it's so funny, but then he becomes a really good ice skater. Um, this does start my issues with Beast as a character, though, compared to Beast in the movie. Um, there is like the perfect amount of beast in the theatrical release to me where I was endeared to him. I felt for him when he was angry, but I was also like very ruffled with his anger at the same time. Right. He's exaggerated in every aspect in this one. And maybe that's a part of the writing as well, but like when they show him as a human and he's a brat, he's like a whole nother level brat. I mean, he's supposed to be as a human. That's why the Enchantress did him in. Like, he's supposed to be a piece of garbage as a human. Well, and the piece of garbage he was in the movie was appropriate. Did we see him in the movie? Like, Like, I don't think the anime one actually got any lines. I think that was more a, uh, that was the live action we saw. Maybe I'm thinking the live action. Live action was so good. They did a good job. They did a really good job. Yeah, they did a really good job. But in this one, he felt exaggerated to me. Tom, you said something like you feel like um, they just took everything that he did in the movie and just ad nauseum, y'all. It was just bad. I am going to push back on that just a little bit. I, I, he is definitely more exaggerated. Like, and again, I give some grace to them because this was a staple of the Disney straight to VHS thing. They didn't have the budget of the theatrical films. They didn't have the screenwriters and musicians to animators whatever it was all done on the cheap so some leeway for that but i actually liked the beast and bell stuff here especially at the beginning like this was like the missing piece between the wolf attack and the theatrical film and the something there montage where they fall in love this was the awkward Mm -hmm. beginning of that where they're trying to be nice they're trying to feel each other out and it just made sense to me he would be because we in the movie it goes straight from saving her to straight to like he's in love with her just about right. like this is the kind of the middle phase you kind of see the step he took to get there that one step he's missing and I don't know he I get it I I didn't maybe there was too much from his point of view like maybe there's too much beast i didn't feel he was out of character though for the theatrical film i think maybe that's it that's what i'll agree with you on julia maybe there's too much from his point of view in this film but maybe so. i did really like that scene with the ice skating where they fall down and bell says look a snow angel and you get up and he with his horns and everything he looks like the devil and that really frustrates mm-hmm. and upsets him and he just storms off i like that scene I know before he storms off, he rips the snow to like literal shreds. (laughs) He's an animal. He's a beast. Loses his crap. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He loses it. There, there, which, okay. We'll get to the part. There is the one part. I, the beast went too far for me in this movie toward the end, Yep. but we'll get to that. Yeah. I think we'll, we will get to that. Um, Okay. So they're, they're, relationship is budding and we've got that that spurs her on to really create this beautiful Christmas experience with what she has in the castle uh, we meet Angelique because Lumiere uh, introduces her to Angelique and Angelique is a uh, Christmas should be done one way and I'm not going to help you because you're all amateurs and she's real snobby 
And Lumiere is a player because he has a thing with the feather duster and now he has a thing with the angel too. I mean, yeah, well, like where's got, the feather duster? She gets, Come on. She gets locked away for 11 weeks out of the year and you put the feather duster in the closet, you know? I mean, flop slip, you're good Lumiere go. was clearly a fan. Well, Lumiere was a prototype for Mr. Rochester and Jane Eyre, you know, lock his first wife in the <laughs> attic and uh, oh, <laughs> his second love interest downstairs. He is a player. That's for sure. Um, I mean, that's at the a same... French stereotype. No offense to our French listeners. That's a trope. It's a French, you know, they're, you know, very loose. The landers. Yes, there you go. The land. <laughs> that's a good word for it. <laughs> okay. At the same time, Beast and Belle have this budding relationship. We meet our villain, uh, voiced by Tim Curry. We meet Forte, who is. Now that's supposed an... to be the West Wing, right? That he's locked I away. I assume in. so. Yeah, because Belle doesn't need him and she's forbidden. So that's what I assume as well. He plays but he plays all the time and we don't hear him at all in the entire all the time. movie. That's weird. <laughs> he has a gigantic pipe organ with an with an exceptional amount of CGI. Early mid early late 90s, 90s or whatever. CGI. Yeah. It, it it reads early 90s, even though the movie is not early 90s CGI. Um, his face looks entirely different than anything else in the movie. And it is startling when you first about. see him. He, look, yeah. he looks scary. I mean, they cast a good voice actor for a scary villain because no one does scary and evil like Tim Curry. And his face has a certain Rocky Horror Picture Show element to it, like the height of the eyebrows uh-huh. in the eye, the yep. way the eyes are set. So, I mean, they definitely played up the Tim Curry, which as they should, it's Tim Curry. Um. He's very dark and morose, and he enjoys most the fact that he has he's in the beast's good graces. He's like the beast's confidant. Well, I mean, I guess for whatever you know, reason, whatever that's what I was about to say. He's like the beast has no choice because it's up in his West Wing tower. Like, he, have you seen the size of it? He can't move him if he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> I find it more weird that uh, Fife is also hanging up in that tower because he seems like a little annoying dude. The beast would just throw out the window at some point. Right. And Fife's motivation for being the henchman to Forte is because Forte apparently controls who has the solo, and Fife wants that solo. Which seemed real contrived to me. I feel like they could. With what other instruments? Like, well, right. So, yeah, there are no who other else is competing. I, I all I'll say is, speaking of things, the live action version did better. I preferred the piano in the live action version played by Stanley Tucci. Where was Tucci? Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> oh, I love when his keys come out and he's just got holes in all of his teeth. <laughs> I love that he was like in love with the wardrobe and left. I know. My love. <laughs> so good. It's so good. That live action is so good. Um, but no, seriously, I don't understand Fife's motivation here either. I mean, I get what his motivation is supposed to be in front terms of the movie, but Fortasis he can't move. He is stuck to the wall. Yeah. If I was Fife, I would dance in front of him playing the music all day just to annoy the crap out of this. Guy. Yeah, like who even cares? Yeah. And what and would be piece annoying. of music is Forte gonna play where a Fife would even make sense? I did really like, not to jump ahead, but I loved when Beast was like, you're not singing. And he's like, deck the halls with oh. of holly. That made me laugh. 
Um, okay. So we have our villain. Our villain doesn't enjoy Belle because Belle is a wedge between him and Beast. That's how he sees it. So he tries to subvert all of these Christmas goals by keeping Beast unhappy with Christmas and really trying to well, foster that discontent. He's not just a wedge between Belle and Beast. He is like, he doesn't want the curse to ever be broken because he's afraid if it is, he's going to go back to being irrelevant in the prince's graces like he was. Which in all, in, fairness, you're, in all fairness, you're trapped to a wall. You're pretty irrelevant now. Doesn't make sense. Uh, you can't move or see anything any differently. That's a weird, weird place to be. I mean, him and Gaston, like, basically want the same thing here. Like, too bad they didn't meet to team up here in the original because uh, <laughs> they would have been a little more formidable together, I think. Belle gets Beast a book or a present. Belle gets Beast a present and she puts it by the rose and it sits there. And that's part of what is the catalyst for Beast warming a bit to the Christmas thing and trying to figure out what to get Belle as well. Um, let's um, talk about this present because who could not love this present? She wrote a 500 page, hand wrote a 500 page part book on parchment paper in beautiful uh, French. calligraphy, fr- French calligraphy with a quill. Like, whew, like I, if he threw that out, Winner. like again, mid quill. <laughs> Sometimes during all this, before she loves them, she makes that cho- that decision to do it. I'm not questioning. I just want to point out the obvious. <laughs> so he doesn't know what he has until later obviously and there's a small little thing that happens in between (laughs) meeting the villain and him opening that present and it is that um beast gets really angry with her attempts to decorate that dashes her hopes temporarily chip inspires her to then keep christmas in your heart let's do it like he can't tell us when it's christmas and when it's not she's like by golly you're right and you know what would really make it Christmas? A tree. Well, Forte manipulates them a bit because he plays the music to get them up there. And Chip's mm-hmm. excitedly telling him about their Christmas. And he's like, well, do you have a wreath? Do you have all this, this, that, that? And when they get to a tree, they don't have it. And he's like, well, what's Christmas without a tree? And mm-hmm. it's Chip's disappointment to this fact that Belle's like, why don't we go get one? That's right. So because Forte plays- knows... They have to go to the forest to get a tree. And you know what What will happen when they go to the forest? Never come mm-hmm. back. He tells Fife, she ain't coming back from that forest. He sends Fife after her to take out a hit on her. Yeah. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he Basically, does. Yes. <laughs> it gets super dark. <laughs> it gets super dark in this moment. Our villain gets dark, but then... So Belle is is getting a tree, and is it Forte that shows him the mirror? Somehow the mirror well, gets into Beast's hands. Well, right? what happens is the Beast gets all dressed up in his ballroom suit, which we're not supposed to see until later because that's a big moment in the theatrical film. Okay. And he wants he saw the book. He was enamored by the book. So he tells Cogsworth, go get Belle for me. And he's basically going to have this romantic dinner with her or something. And Bell's out in the forest, so <laughs> Lumiere and Cogsworth go after them and have Mrs. Potts stall. Maybe against her will. <laughs> stall the beast. And the beast is like, Mrs. Potts, are you trying to distract me? Now, this is out of character because we saw in the movie, Mrs. Potts very quickly like whips him into shape multiple times. Yeah, she like does. She's not afraid of him. 
Right. But um, and she is in the scene. She that was is. Character. And when he she realizes She's a motherly uh, figure to even him. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And when she uh, when he realizes that's exactly what she's doing, she's distracting him. That's when he storms over to the mirror and show me the girl. And he sees her leaving and Forte frames it like she's broken her promise to you. She said she wouldn't leave. Just let her go. She's leaving. That's right. Let her go. And And this is when the beast turns into a full on kidnapper at this point. Like, yeah, so after her to legit drag her back. So Belle is in the fight for her life by this point, because we have the gigantic tree. Guess what? They're on top of a sheet of ice on the pond. The ice starts to break up. And so we have peril. Um, Chip well, is in well, what mortal does, teacup danger. <laughs> doesn't it kind of, something happens with Fife. What does he do? He loosens something, right? So, oh, he lo- he lets Philippe off the wagon. So Philippe can't pull, right. them, pull them off the ice. That's right. right. I, he does something. He has that, a hand in it. It's not just yeah. the ice. He does have a bit of a hand in it. But that puts us in a situation where Chip has fallen into the water. And, you know, because... He's a little boy. It will kill a teacup to get cold and drowned with his no lung situation. Bell risks life and limb to save Chip. The teacup that's not going to drown. Like he'll float to the top. Why doesn't he just like chill? He breathes. But we saw this in the original. He literally holds he his blow breath to bubbles. blow bubbles. Does he have to hold his breath to blow bubbles? No, because he's filled up with liquid. A vast amount of time, and that's fine. It's his purpose is to be filled with liquid. And it's they play weird with the rules of these objects. They really do because, like, it is. Well, yeah, like uh, not only is he drowning, but when he comes out of the ice, he's like blue, like yeah. <laughs> All and- that blood in his teacup body is frozen. Um, Bell gets dragged <laughs> under the water again by the Christmas tree, which is. Also pretty dark, by the way. Like the animation is very like scary and it's pretty intense. If I was a kid watching this, I think it would scare me a bit. Well, when she when she yeah, when she's getting dragged under, <laughs> Chip like grabs onto her with his mouth, like to try to pull her back. And rather than yeah. like grabbing her arms, Cogsworth and Lubear <laughs> grab onto Chip and you know. And he's holding her glove. Yeah, and they somehow of course go Chip, flying. Somehow backwards. Chip was no muscles. Was able to <laughs> well, I mean, I somehow it's in the original crazy, Chip, isn't it? It's amazing. Somehow in the original, Chip managed to get coal into Maurice's machine and light it on fire and get it going. But anyway, <laughs> it's at this point the beast comes, like in the original, out of nowhere to save yeah. the day. He dives into the lake, swims. And grabs her and then like superhuman strength he bursts through the freaking like closed patch of ice with her in his arms yeah. and then he goes and to murder chip he goes to murder chip he goes to, he know, almost steps on him like, and lumiere like dives over him and like gets him out of the way well because what did we all think the beast was going to react when he saves bell what did we think the reaction was going to be heart like kind of like guilt are you okay? That's what you'd expect. Yeah. I can't be without you. I, I can't lose you. I, for a minute, my life flashed before my eyes when I yeah, thought about care. life without you, Bell. But, but no, that's not his reaction. First, he storms off, leaving his oh, loyal girl, servants in the woods. 
in the dark woods to find their own way home. <laughs> Mind you, they're after like a wolf attack. After, after, a, wolf after attack. a wolf attack. <laughs> and then we cut to him locking Belle in the dungeon in her wet clothing. Nothing even give her dry clothing. And it's shot in a way where like she's coming in and out of consciousness. Yeah. Like it's it's dark. That was the part that like the beast it's lost. It's real me. dark. Yeah, it's real dark. It's so unbeast like from it's just it's so dark. And so Forte is obviously happy about this. Dark, he, he wants her dead, but he's at least happy that, you know, they're not happy with each other. And how does Bell come out of this dungeon existence? Well, the objects go down to celebrate mm-hmm. Christmas with her. Like we're still doing Christmas. They're not going to leave her alone for Christmas. So they go down to celebrate with her and they like a bunch singing. of ornaments for whatever reason are down there. Hey, that little Christmas tree and candy ornaments. cane ornaments were adorable. But they're down there singing the reprise to as long as they're Christmas and mistress of to be Sears and West Wing. And he's feeling guilty at this point. And this is when Forte has a really bad song. When you say West Wing, I can just think of the show. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> Martin Sheen's up in there. Every time you talk about West Wing, I just think about the West Wing. and this is my forte is a really weird song about self-love and like you don't need anyone else and with the neon okay this brings me to my first question about forte because i have a lot of questions about him is this just style uh, animated a lot of questions style like is this just you know stylized animation or is this actually coming out of him it has to be because he's shooting it at him later on in the movie he knocks he knocks yeah, the beach he, the beast down later, right? He well, hits him. Yeah, he shoots him with I wasn't his little sh- magic note powers. I was confused. Like, is that just a way to show like that's the force of his music? Like just kind of like the wind coming out of the pipes, like the sound. I, I was yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe that was I don't know. But either way, I was thinking to myself, doing. why does he get cool powers and none of the other objects <laughs> do? I mean, why did I mean, he have I, to explain anything in this? What we didn't we didn't we never heard him play before and we saw you know we didn't know anything about this this collapse i mean there's a structural collapse of the castle and well, everything else is just fine but we actually see like the ceiling and walls in here well the beat you're jumping ahead a little bit the beast tells Sorry. basically tells forte to knock it off and he goes down to the dungeon to apologize to bell right and celebrate rather than taking her out of the dungeon to celebrate christmas he decides to celebrate down in the dungeon with her and the objects and that's when forte's like nope and this is when he starts playing really dark loud variations of christmas music that starts again led to your point tom tearing the castle apart and causing structural damage and yeah there's like a massive chasm between like an earthquake. He calls and it an beast. Earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the beast goes up there in his rage, like Fortea. <laughs> and like he's trying, he tries to get close to him, and Forte's like shooting his green musical notes at him. Like, <laughs> and this is when Fife kind of redeems himself. He's like, Master, the the keys. And this is what beast murders murders his musical composer maestro his maestro he flat out murders him so i want to know like what part of the body like did he is that like the equivalent of reaching into his chest and tearing out the heart like 
How did like what did he well, do? It was the him? lungs because the air stopped. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. But viciously murders him. And you get that really scary image of like skeleton dying skulls that look like Ursula's souls and the little mermaid like escaping yes. from the pipes before. That's exactly he, what they look like. He dies. And then we can only assume that for the rest of Beauty and the Beast Prime, Beast is living with a dead organ in his West Wing attic. <laughs> right? Body of a dead organ. That's dark. <laughs> so that when the curse breaks, uh, he has to send servants up there to clear the dead body away for him. <laughs> You've really thought this through. I mean, not. He has. He's he literally really slumps over. In the dark he literally here. slumps over when the Beast rips off his keyboard. That giant face just goes, hmm. Oh, man. And then the one, the part that annoyed me the most, they celebrate Christmas in their ball gown and the suit in the ballroom, which was like the high point of the movie. They're supposed to see each other for the first time and have that beautiful dance. And no, she's in her gown. He's in his suit. They're in the ballroom, which has been cleaned up already. I gotcha. That's like spoiler alert. That's like total yeah. spoiler alert. It didn't register with me, but you're totally right. It's supposed to be a big, it is a big deal in the movie when the beast, we see the beast in his suit for the first time. Yeah. All awkward it's a huge coming deal. down the stairs. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, then we flash to the present again. Yeah. And they're decorating for real Christmas and the story's over and Chip is just very happy to have had a lovely story. And Fife gets a solo. Master, can I play for you? Like, yeah, (laughs) let's play the piccolo or whatever you are. (laughs) Fife. It's a Fife. His name's literally his instrument. (laughs) And then uh, (laughs) Prince Adam and Belle go outside and the cheap guy just gets her a rose. Which we also forgot to mention. That's why, that's why, uh, that's why Forte was trying to destroy the castle. He was trying to destroy that rose because when right. Beast and Belle and Fife were trying to take him out, like Lumiere and Cogsworth and Mrs. Pot and the Angel were trying to keep the rose from falling and just getting right. destroyed. Right. That's right. Any favorite garbage quotes not- and scenes? <laughs> For what it was, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I loved the As Long As There's Christmas song. I thought it was cute. And I liked seeing them uh, do their little magic, seeing how the plates all stacked and it turned into a tree and everything mm-hmm. like that. I that was that. the best song of the lot. The others, and even that one to a certain extent, is just Not a little forgettable. Uh, Completely forgettable. <laughs> so if you want to talk about um, how abusive, <laughs> to your point, Julia, how abusive i guess the beast is in this movie when he confronts bell down in the boiler room <laughs> he finds her with the piece of wood and he's like she's like it's a yule log and he's like huh and she's like a yule log it's a wonderful tradition one log is chosen and everyone in the house touches it and makes a christmas wish and he said he says to her wishes are stupid you made a christmas wish last year and then he looks around the castle and he's like is this what you wished for I'm oh, like, he's awful <laughs> he's so terrible I, he's so terrible you're pretty confident it's probably not what she wished for <laughs> <laughs> he's terrible yeah i'm so curious that because like, there were elements of there were elements of the beast in the theatrical movie where we 
felt like he was terrible. Like, why did they feel like they needed to exaggerate it anymore? I think, I think it's kind of like I said earlier, we don't get that much from, we got, I feel like in this 80 minute special, however long it was movie, we mm. got more of the beast point of view than we did in the theatrical film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't I have li- any favorite quotes. I liked the retcon that he was turned into a beast on Christmas Eve. I thought that was yeah. cool. That would really drive home the tough season for the beast. Yeah. <laughs> really make Christmas something to hate. So that worked. That was fine. Um, the Christmassy stuff all felt very Christmassy. Mm-hmm. But this animation question. feels I thought, comfortable. I, I have a question. The- What's up, Tom? We're going to Medpool. We're going back in time. This is right after the attack with the wolves. Why is the beast not injured? Where's the wrap on his arm? Maybe he's like Wolverine and he has like superhuman. But he had it for a while in the other movie. That's true. He did. When did, the, right. when did this happen? Because by the time, by the end of the movie, the, the thing was gone, but that was at the very end. I just don't know when it happened. So was this kind of makes the library, the library a Christmas gift for Belle? Hmm. I don't know. Could be. But I did really like the beginning when they're human and the townspeople are all coming to the castle with candles seeing back the halls. I thought that was very cool. What else? What other favorites? Anything? I felt like I felt like a lot of the Christmas stuff was similar to like with Lumiere and Cogsworth saying, you know, when you get a gift from a woman, it's that she cares about you. Mm-hmm. You have to give her one in return. I feel like that was some, the same exact conversation they have in the theatrical, and he's like, I need to get her something. Yeah. And Cogsworth is like, roses, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. I love, love Cogsworth. Him. What year did I this come too. out? What year did this come out? 97. 97. That terrible CGI of the that didn't fit at all with Disney money was after Toy Story 1, right? But this Ooh. isn't a theatrical budget. I'm not making excuses. It was terrible That's, CGI. Dude. That was your main complaint with Noel. You but Noel was made on a theatrical budget. It obviously wasn't. They decided before they did all the CGI to not release it in the theater. Okay. You know what? Please hold it. Was a, it was a straight to DVD equivalent of going on to Disney Plus. I'm just saying, you're like moving the goalpost nope. here, man. Noel had a budget of $9 million. Talk about cheap. Beauty and the Beast Enchanted Christmas had a budget of. It doesn't even say because it's straight to Blu ray. Or whatever. Twelve million. Anyway, if this had more than Noel, I will eat my shoe in a Patreon episode live for people to watch because there is no way your shoe. Like, there's just there's just no reason why that would be a thing you should do. There is no way that's a bigger budget than Noel. I don't want you to be. I don't want you to be wrong because I don't want to see that. Actually, I wouldn't watch it anyway. So go for it. (laughs) I mean, you're, you're in fairness, Tom. The critics agreed with you. It's thirteen percent rotten. Yeah. Well, I think some of that may have to do with the blatant anti-Semitism that we haven't hit on. Yeah, we did gloss over that a bit in the boiler room. We do meet in the in the the goal to find the Yule log. Yule log. We go to the boiler room with a terrifying boiler. <laughs> 
real scary. Um, reminded me a little bit of the furnace in Home Alone, actually. That's what I thought well, of too. Reminded, well, yeah. I, and Elf. It reminded and me Elf. of the stove in the original Beauty and the Beast. The really scary stove. Yes, yes that too. Absolutely. Um, she meets an axe who is like the only Jewish character in the entire castle. And he's comically so. <laughs> Would we have known he was Jewish if he didn't say Oybe like five times? And happy Hanukkah. And he was a shopkeep. And <laughs> okay. have like that wasn't even a real Jewish actor's voice. That was a voice uh-uh. actor. They did it so badly. Okay, I'm not arguing that it was a caricature. It was a caricature. No, it was anti-Semitic. It was just bad. Initially, the film was going to be a direct sequel to the original film with the main villain stated to be Avenant, depicted as Gaston's younger brother. Avenant's goal was to avenge Gaston by ruining the lives of Belle and the prince and threatening to kill them, reportedly using sorcery to transform the prince back into a beast and frame Belle for it. Frame Belle for it? I mean, maybe she thought he was cuter as a beast too. Who knows? <laughs> did it have a Linus moment? Yes. Sure. It did. Yeah. Beast learned to know what Christmas is about. Yeah. Wow. I'm ready to rank it. I don't have quotes or anything anymore. I'm ready. Why don't you go first? Me. I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Ooh. I'm giving it a half. Oh, that's way lower. I hated it. Oh, coming in at a three. I I can't wait to uh, hold on a second. That that gives us an average of 3.67. Three and a third, right? 3.67, which ties it. No, it doesn't tie it. It comes in between, it comes in at 71 on our list between three days and the Santa Claus three slash the Christmas candle. Oof, that seems low to me. That seems really low to me. But yeah, I think it we did have a lot too high still. We have a lot of love for this movie. And I'm gonna start reading my favorite comment because I have officially shed my title as the worst. Jennifer Garrett Collier wrote. I absolutely love this. I actually think I like it better than the original Beauty and the Beast, which that's interesting. I don't agree with that, Jennifer, but I do like it. Just awesome. I really hope y'all don't tear this one apart. It could turn into a new who's the worst champion based on your opinion. Uh, Danielle Essery wrote, she was the one who had the really funny comment about Rankin Bass a few weeks ago about why do I watch? But then I realized why I don't have to. I don't have to do this every year. She wrote, Beauty and the Beast is my favorite Disney princess movie, and Christmas is my other favorite thing, so the combination of those two things really made my childhood. This is also one of the few Disney directed VHS sequels I think is actually good and respects the original source movie and builds on it in a good way. Also, Tim Curry as a villainous organ is absolutely perfect. The music in this is also amazing at getting you in the spirit, but as long as there's Christmas, still really hits me in the feels. Robert Nickerson, our friend from behind the bells podcast wrote two words tim curry what else can i say melissa burroughs wrote he is he's it's so sad what happened to him in recent years like i hate seeing like iconic actors and actresses from my childhood like get old like that yeah 
Yeah. And, you know, Melissa Burroughs wrote, one of my daughters had this saved on our DVR for years. We would watch it every Christmas season for years. That kind of made me smile because like I have stuff on my DVR that's been there for years just because. Is it all your Hallmark Christmas movies? Yeah, I do. I have a ton on there. <laughs> I, I saved mine It's just too. there's something kind of nostalgic about that, even though the DVR technology really isn't old <laughs> enough to feel nostalgic, but it totally does. So that one really made me smile. Rebecca wrote, Rebecca Bowl wrote, saddle up for Rebecca's story time. My godmother's... <laughs> My godmother's daughter worked for Disney and for Christmas bought me this VHS of the CD and a book of the original artwork. For years, I thought I made this movie up because no one had seen it. Then for my 25th, my friend got the DVD for me. My birthday is in July, but I sat down to watch it and was immediately transported into being a child. I'd been out in the cold, so I was drinking hot blackcurrant juice and eating a Fredo. Niche British. Ooh, what is that? What Nostalgia plays... I have no clue. Rebecca, let us know what that is. Nostalgia plays a part here, sure, but what I love about it is that it's a rare movie that skirts around both religion and Santa to offer a focus on the feel and emotion of Christmas, creating a family and embracing, and embracing hope is the greatest of the gifts we'll receive, which is also Todd Killian's message and all makes me so happy. In times when I haven't had faith or believed in Santa, this movie carried me through. Please be nice. Oh, that's so sweet. Leave it to Rebecca Bowl. <laughs> Jake, sorry, Rebecca. <laughs> Jacob Bean Watson, I think, hit the nail on the head here. One of the darkest Christmas movies ever. I dig it. You guys are going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can totally see how nostalgia would play into this one, like in a big way. In a big well, way. I guarantee you, if I had no history with it, I probably wouldn't like it. I think it legit just is the nostalgia for me yeah yeah and stephen beach disco 54 wrote genuinely really like this it's original and fun how often is christmas ruined by a huge misplaced organ <laughs> that's what she said <laughs> <laughs> oh brother <laughs> and then uh we got re- one really cool comment on Instagram too. Honey of Venus wrote, I love this movie so much as a kid. I had Belle's doll in the holiday red dress too. I remember that. My sister had that. I watched it on Disney Plus last holiday season for the first time in a long time. And somehow and someone brought up to my attention how male villains in movies, particularly animated movies, tend to be feminine. It's called queer coding. It's true for a lot of movies. Very thought-provoking. I continue to watch the movie and realize the music is actually very good, even for a sequel. Now that's on Disney+, Plus. I'm adding it to Extras Movies List to watch every year. Hmm. Ah. And Kathy Lynn 54 just wrote my favorite, Heart. So yeah, I, I, there's a lot more love for it than I think the three of us gave it. Yeah, But... I, like you said, Julie, I think it's all comes down to the nostalgia. A lot of them seem to have long histories with it, like yeah. myself. So, yeah, I think I think that's very strong with this one, for sure. Um, but I mean, I'm interested in more comments like those because those were so fun. The way people chimed in on that one. Um, where can people give us additional? comments after they've listened to the episode and it drove them to watch it because I want the fresh eye people. I want the people who are watching it as adults to weigh in on this conversation and let Tom and I know if we're validated in the effect of nostalgia on a direct to VHS Disney experience. You can let us know on 
all of the socials. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Facebook group by going to tisthepodcast.com slash social media here, Reddit, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or Facebook group. And that will magically transport you to where you want to be. Let us know what you think of this movie and be sure to tell us how and why you think Anthony is the worst. I think I may have shed that title this week. But who knows? I'm sure I'll make an asinine comment next week and air it back. <laughs> We're in flux. And if you want extra Tis a Podcast content, go to www.tisapodcast slash Patreon, where as for as little as a dollar per month, you can get full-length bonus episodes. We have so much stuff up there right now. I'm not going to run through it all. We have so much stuff in the pipeline right now. I'm not even going to run through everything that's coming. But just dropped this past Wednesday as a conversation I mentioned at the beginning of this episode with Ron Hogan, President Hot Dog of Filmstrip Podcast, and Lindsay Madison of Filmstrip Podcast and Gridiron Podcast, in which we discuss the Conjuring franchise in advance of the new movie hitting theaters in a month, and HBO Max in a month. And next Wednesday, a conversation about Space Jam with Matt Yurich will drop in advance of that new movie. So check it out. Lots of fun stuff up there and lots of fun stuff coming. I have a lot scheduled for it. We do have some good stuff coming in the regular feed if you want to keep joining us on Monday mornings like you have been. Um, Next week, we are going to dabble back into Rankin Bass with The First Christmas, the story of The First Christmas Snow. And Anthony, you said Angela Lansbury's in that one? She is. So twice in a, twice in two weeks we're covering her. Can't beat that. And then the week after, if you want to get a two-week head start, we will be watching a Christmas movie Christmas that was recommended to us from Alyssa. Ron Hogan. Ron Hogan. President Hot Dog recommended that one. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. We have so a good lot stuff of fun- coming up on Mondays. We have good stuff that comes up on Thursdays too, though, right? Yes. If we are just dropped chapter 14 of the book I wrote, Another Christmas Story, read by, this chapter is read by Kendall Foray, and she did a great job. She was very funny. She, uh, there's some funny bloopers at the end of this ep- that episode, so if you haven't listened yet, go back and listen. And this upcoming week's chapter, chapter 15, is going to be read by Michelle Kidwell of the Horribly Genius Podcast, and uh, she's awesome as well, so check, make sure you check that out on Thursday. And make sure you check out the most recent episode of Christmas Clatter uh, because Todd interviewed me about the book. So thank you, Todd, for giving me a platform and letting me talk about it. Very awesome of you. You're Todd's awesome. Everyone knows Todd is awesome. Santa's brother. Yep, Santa's brother. Brother And uh, Leon Day and Christmas in July are coming up. So we have fun stuff for the main feed planned for that. I've actually been writing the Christmas in July thing. We're going to I told you guys about. What else yeah. is exciting? There are only 5,520 hours into Christmas. That's only 230 days, y'all. 32 weeks. We're almost out of the 30s. We're almost Stockers. halfway there. That's crazy. Do your homework, y'all. And, you know, keep Christmas hope alive or whatever the message of this movie was. <laughs> A basement organ. Don't trust please. organs. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.
Yeah. 